Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita, and let's begin. Hi there. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Love Food Podcast Series. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. I'm so glad you're here. And I hope you enjoyed episode 10, where we heard a letter from a woman who described herself as a guilty clean eater. And that episode actually warranted this new thing called a bonus episode because Jennifer McGurk and I both attended the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals Symposium. It was in February, and there happened to be a session from Dr. Stephen Brotman on orthorexia nervosa and um, two dietitians that we look up to, Jessica Setnick and Amanda Millispring, were also presenting with Dr. Brotman on ways to actually diagnose and treat um, this eating disorder. And from the conversation from the conference, what we're starting to understand is that it's it's probably time to start actually identifying this as an eating disorder. And so we need to start trying to define it. And really what this, this conference session was about was um, starting the conversation. And um, we know that over time it will evolve. But it was really cool because Jennifer and I were there in the session and we locked eyes at one point and we were like, we need to make sure that we go back and record a little bit more so we can tell the listeners about this update. And again, because we got to hear it straight from Dr. Brotman, uh, how to accurately identify if you're struggling with this orthorexia nervosa. It was a very important conversation. And so I'm going to go ahead and give a Jennifer a call right now. And um, we want to share with you these really, really um, cutting edge, progressive, um, hot off the presses details about orthorexia. Hey, Julie. Hey, Jennifer. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's so good to actually meet you in person at the IADEPT Symposium a few weeks ago. You know, it was actually good to actually meet, you know, we've talked on the phone so many times. So it's it was cool to like see you in person. But, I feel um, like we were already friends that were just virtual friends. Totally, and, totally. And now <laughs> That's right. Well, and I'm excited to talk to you because I think it's really important that we share with the listeners and especially the letter writer, Guilty Clean Eater, about what we learned about from Dr. Brotman. And um, so, yeah, tell me your like initial thoughts and what are what are some things that you're hoping yeah. to share with the listeners? So it was so funny because I knew that you were in the room during that conference with Dr. Bratman, and I could not wait to talk to you at the end because I immediately thought of our letter writer, and I thought about all the things that we were talking about in our episode and how I really wanted to update everyone about what he said. So my initial thoughts were like, hallelujah, there's finally some proposed diagnostic criteria out there that we can call it that we can like officially say, like, here are the things that have to do with orthorexia versus just having a little bit of an idea about it before. Um, So now that there are actually serious serious criteria that we can actually tell someone, hey, if this is you, this might 
be what you're going through. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to even talk about why diagnosis is important because I can appreciate some people are like, oh, it's just another label. Like, why do we have to label everything and medicalize it? And um, I'm totally in that kind of way of thinking sometimes. Like, I don't think labels are necessarily important for people to like internalize, but for clinicians, it's huge because if we can kind of figure out similarities from person to person, you know, everyone has their unique story, but if we can kind of find patterns, then we can actually find solutions and test the t- solutions to make sure they don't hurt anyone and make sure they help. So then it's like, this is like the first step for people who are like this letter writer to actually have some like tangible tools that are established in research and are safe to be able to like find yeah. peace with food. So, and, and also an important thing too, is a diagnosis for insurance reimbursement. Oh yeah. That's because it. a lot of times insurance companies are like, Oh, this isn't a diagnosis. Then oh, we're not going to pay for it. You know, so really trying to get people the treatment that they need and the treatment that they deserve, you know, and having insurance companies really kind of get on board with it is also important, too. Yeah, I think that's another great point. It stinks that we have to, like, think of it in that way, but it's so true. And our clients that we've met with that experience this orthorexia nervosa experience, they're in just as much pain. They're feeling just as, like tortured by their relationship with food as our clients with anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder, like all the ones that we have like these systems for and insurance companies, you know, hopefully or sometimes will reimburse for, um, you know, at least then they'll have some more firm footing so they can actually yeah. get the health care that they need. That's true. And then also, as a, I know you probably introduced um, the speakers in the intro, mm-hmm. but Amanda, one of the speakers, actually did talk about how the treatment for something like a traditional anorexic client or bulimic client might be a little bit different if their core belief might be orthorexia. So that's another thing that's really important, too. You know, someone might be restricting or purging because of the orthorexia component of their eating disorder. And that's something that we also have to really address too in treatment. Yeah. Well, how would you define that core belief for orthorexia? So, well, I would say unhealthy would be their core belief as we talked about before in the, in the first podcast and unhealthy can mean so many different types of things. But I think that that is like the core belief of being unhealthy causes them to go kind of chaotic in a sense. Yeah, like they focus yeah. on health They or people that have orthorexia focus on health so much that anything that's unhealthy might drive them crazy. Yeah. And that could exacerbate their eating disorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like it, most of the time it's not involving weight or, or you know, that's something that I'm still kind of confused on, I think, from their conversation. Is that is that your takeaway too? Yeah, that orthorexia yeah, so, is not really weight, weight involved? Yeah. So he, so Dr. Bratman did a great job at, you know, explaining this, this diagnostic criteria for us. And one of the things was that he said, you know, weight loss may happen. This escalation of orthorexia may lead to weight loss, but it's not necessarily the core belief of someone that has orthorexia. Mm-hmm. It's not what's driving their behavior. Yeah, it's not yeah. what's driving. Yeah, exactly. It's not what's okay. driving their behavior. Okay. Yeah. So if someone has this experience instead of anorexia, but maybe from the outside or from like some kind of review, a, a, a clinician would just think to treat them like they would with someone with anorexia. I could see how that would prolong their treatment or make it not effective. So yeah, super important that we're getting this information. Yeah. 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 Well, in, what do you think could happen 
from this? Like, I don't know. Are you like, sometimes I, I tend to be um, like dreamy and like <laughs> pie in the sky about things. And like, so I wonder what will happen now that, you know, there's talk of putting orthorexia nervosa in the diagnostic criteria, you know, the DSM that we talked about in episode yeah. 10, you know, what do you think would, could lead, what could happen for so this condition? This might be my wishful thinking, just like you said, but think about binge eating disorder mm-hmm. and where we were with binge eating disorder 10 years ago. It wasn't in the DSM. You know, it wasn't something that people really called a diagnosis, but it was something that we knew existed. And I feel like maybe, you know, orthorexia is the next binge eating disorder. Yes. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, binge eating disorder forever was just lumped in with eating disorder, not otherwise specified, which was kind of this, like, it was supposed to be for a small amount of people who have an eating disorder that can't be diagnosed with either anorexia or bulimia, they had this kind of catch-all one. But unfortunately, the majority of people with an eating disorder were getting diagnosed with, with this one that was supposed to be just for like the remnants or something. And, yeah. and um, because of binge eating disorder, that binge eating disorder is the most common eating disorder. So um, when they changed um, the, the next book, so when it was DSM-4 to 5, they end up putting D- the binge eating disorder in there, which was huge because then we could say it's its own eating disorder, which then meant insurance would actually recognize it and it would get a lot more research and funding for research. So, um, and I also feel like and, less strain, less shame for it too, like to get oh, treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would say that the binging disorder got more publicity, meaning that probably a lot more people got help that they needed because they just kind of maybe heard that, oh yeah, now there's this thing called binging disorder. And I have all my clients say that they heard about it with the medication commercials that are on TV. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully that's another thing. Maybe more research will bring more medications for these types of things too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I guess it's a win-win all around and we'll have to just kind of keep like looking out for the research and maybe we'll have another bonus episode when we start hearing some more about it. And um, I know Dr. Brotman said that he, him and um, Dr. Dunn, I think is his name, are going to be publishing the diagnostic criteria very soon. And so, yeah, I have a feeling that a lot of like media outlets will start to pick up this news story. So if you heard it here on the Love Food Podcast, you're going to get it before everybody else. I know. (laughs) Lucky you, you're going to be so in the know. But um Anyway, so I'm so glad that we were able to bring this conversation and bring this information to you guys. Is there anything else you wanted to add about this, Jennifer, before we get going? So I I put the proposed criteria up on my website. If anything changes, you know that I will change it in the blog post. Um, Dr. Stephen Bratman also put it up on his website. So the information is out there. Oh, awesome. We'll definitely link to that. Yeah. Yeah. So even though it is proposed, um, I have a pretty good feeling that it is going to be you know, out there as official, almost ASAP, maybe even by the time this podcast is out, it will be official. It'll be Um, official and published. Yeah. And it just won't be in the diagnostic um, manual until they have another one, which sometimes it can take them like 10 years to publish another one. So uh, poor thing, he couldn't get in before the last (laughs) revision, (laughs) but that's okay. Uh, Better, better now than never. But um, what I will do is I'll put a link to your, um, to your blog post on this in the show notes, as well as Dr. Bratman's um, research if it's published by then. And we'll just keep everyone posted. Love it. Yes. Well, it was great talking to you, Jennifer. Thank you so much for your time. You too, Julie. Have a great day. Take care. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Love Food Podcast. And Guilty Clean Eater, I hope you found the information helpful. And please know we've been thinking about you. And as we hear about changes made to orthorexia nervosa diagnosis and treatment, we will continue to think about you and hope that you're getting the information too. And um, hang in there. And I, I know any work that you're doing to help heal your relationship with food is going to be really tough work, but it's going to be very good work. I want to also give a shout out to Jennifer McGurk. Thank you so much for your time today. And listeners, um, something you don't know is that we tried about 16 times to get um, the recording to work right. There was some technical issues. So thankfully, Jennifer is very patient and um, is, is not type A about these things because that's how podcasting can work. The other thing that happened is right when I sat down to record with Jennifer, finally, I um, tipped over a bottle of water. And so I have been sitting in a wet seat of water since then. So I'm excited to go get changed, dry off. And um, I do hope you enjoy this episode and um, please take care. Bye-bye. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your dear food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food series. Have you enjoyed the show or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at eatingpermitrd. Take care.